Now there's a new hippopotamus. There's milk chocolate, orange chocolate, cherry chocolate, and raspberry chocolate. They're all so delicious, you've just got to dive in. Hippopotamus from Shambursi. Come on, dive in. Evolution to Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode Nightmare Retrospective podcast. I'm one half of the gestalt entity known as the Two Night Martins, Martin Harder. And I am the other one and a half of the gestalt entity known as the Two Martins, Martin O'Doney. I would just like to thank the two Ronnies, uh, circa 1976, for that joke. (laughs) And today marks a very special episode in Nightmare History. Series 2, Episode 5, was originally broadcast on October the 3rd, 1988. Desire by U2 was top of the music charts, and the late, great Robin Williams gave what many believe to be one of his greatest performances in... Good morning, Vietnam! Wow! Time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God. It's Mr. Leo. You know, this whole camouflage thing for me doesn't work very well. Why is that? Well, because you go in the jungle, I can't see you. If you're going to fight, clash. That is not what we program here. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You are not funny. You're not going to last long here. Boy, do I have a surprise for you. Good morning, Vietnam. In 1965, Adrian Cronauer was sent to do the impossible. I was sent here on very strict orders from a colonel. What the hell's going on here? His mission? To build morale. Where are you from? Off of uh, Cleveland, man. Obviously, Vietnam's not that much of a change for you. His strategy? Keep them laughing. If someone is not telling the truth, you say that they are full of... His problem? Staying out of trouble. You want to stick to playing normal modes of music. Jim Neighbors, Matovani... Percy Faith. Percy Faith, good! Yeah! He did a very off-color parody of former VP Nixon. The thing is how the VP is such a VIP. Shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up in MIA, and then we'd all be put on KP. <laughs> Sir, the man is a walking keg of dynamite. He's read unofficial news. <laughs> Ethel Merman jams Russian radar. Hello, I've got a feeling. What's he going to be like in six months? Big dogs landing on my face. What's he going to be like when he's ten times as popular? <laughs> <laughs> What's the weather like out there? It's hot, damn hot, hot and wet. That's nice if you're with a lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as Airman Adrian Cronauer, the wrong person. Very attractive man, ever saw. Don't think I haven't noticed. In the wrong place. This will not look good on a resume! At the right time. Good morning, What a country. Heat, humidity, terrorism. 
still, it's better than New York in the summertime. And now time turns, the recording light burns, time out is gone, the podcast is on. Welcome, watchers of illusion. Phase with me once more, for this is the time of adventures. I, Traegard, issue the challenge. Even now, a quest is in progress. So here's a progress report. In Dungeons Deep, there lived a maid, and Gretel was her name. And though she couldn't cook or sew, she was pretty, just the same. But now a sorcerer has kidnapped her. We know not where she be. So Mark and Chums from Oxfordshire have pledged to set her free. So far, it's not been easy getting past the dungeon guards, and no one told them spiders were ever meant to grow that large. Ever onward, ever downward goes this team upon their quest. Will they fail the final challenge? Or will the dungeon give them best? So, the dungeon ditty. Uh, no noticeable virtual rhyme this week, but I'm not really sure about the phrase, will the dungeon give them best? I don't think there are any virtual rhymes, as far as I can tell, but um, sometimes when they just accept they can't do it, and therefore just come up with anything that actually does rhyme, it almost makes it even worse. Yeah. Will the dungeon give them best? I mean... I'm, I'm not absolutely sure what that means. So I'm not mishearing it then. That is what it says. Oh, yeah. As far as, far as I know it is, yeah. So we joined the team at the Vale of Mogdred amidst the exchanging of a ruby with Olaf for safe passage. There's not much more to say here that we didn't cover last week, so we'll move on to the next chamber. Thank you, going straight. Where am I? The dire warning team. A catacomb bite is on guard here. One touch is this scene marks the return of perhaps the greatest monster of them all, the Catacomb Bite. Um, they seem to have been uh, doing some work on the resolution of the image now because it's been superimposed rather more clearly this time around. And so we can uh, make out more of the detail, more of the gnarled bones that the creature's body is made of. So it makes it very clear that this is bones from somebody who died a horrible death, warped and brought back to life. It makes it even scarier. Underneath the, uh, the creature's head, we've got uh, a letter R, which is uh, clearly the follow-up to the letter F that they uh, picked up in Ariadne's lair in the previous episode. But in order to collect it, they're going to need just a touch of magic. team cast the freezer spell and the monster just ceases all movement and the team are able to guide Mark to collect the letter in the manner of a frustrated parent trying to get their kids to finish getting dressed so they can get to school on time. Okay, stop. Sidestep to your left. Go, go, come on. Let's move. Okay, move forward, move forward. Okay, no, back. You've got to go back. Sidestep to your left. Okay, take take a step backwards. And backwards again. You're going to have so, to so your left. Down, down. Okay, okay. So okay. your right. Come on, move, move. Keep You've got to come quick. Come on, keep, keep going quick, Mark. Right, okay, stop. 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 Walk forwards. But having collected the letter, the team guides Mark out of the room. So it's actually rather more straightforward than it initially feels. Yeah. 
I mean, it's always great to have the bite in a scene, but um, this one does feel a little bit too recycled from previous quests. I mean, it's even the same spell, Freezer. I did raise an eyebrow at that. Are you sure that they haven't got their head against the jaw of the catacomb bite there? Even when it's neutralized, it can still do a lot of damage if anyone happens to make contact with it yeah again it's it's the problem with displaying depth on a 2d field yeah so it's it will still be sub-imposed even when it would be in front of them where am i <laughs> you tell us <laughs> it's the old dark room trick again it's a good thing mark's still holding the candle from last week's episode and it's an even better thing that the candle turns out to be magic. Better. Magic candles need no matches. Thank goodness you've chosen it. We are in the level two well room. The room has taken on a rather warm golden yellow hue this time around. There's no guard here, but for some reason the team still need a life force warning to get them to hurry the f*** up. As Mark climbs into the well, Treyguard reminds him to leave any clue objects behind as he descends into the dark and dreary depths of level three. Life force warning, condition red. A sprig of energy is here, but can you reach it in time? Cavern White's about. Mark has landed in the usual level three entrance, the skeleton room. It looks like the cleaners have been around today, though. Aside from a few skulls in the walls, there's no skeletons to be seen. There is, however, a sprite of energy that Mark sorely needs. With Cavern Rights in chase, he manages to collect it and leave the room. Their manoeuvring's got really good here. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually some of the, their best manoeuvring in the entire quest. Yeah. It's actually so tidily done, I'm not sure there's any need for one of the advisors to panic quite as much as he did. Yeah, Mark himself has got a lot more confident with moving with a blindfold on as well. There were times in the early levels when he, he was just slightly struggling to trust his advisors, but he, he seems to be completely relaxed with t- doing what they tell him now. They're out of there fairly quickly and fairly smoothly. The life force clock has been refilled and so they get out of the room and come face to face with an unpleasantly familiar face. <laughs> Where am I? And Mark, you're in a, uh, a sort of room. Dire warning team, this piece of ugliness is a gargoyle and suffers from acute depression, probably because of its ugliness. Persuade it into better spirits or perish, for its pessimism is draining your life force. Okay, Don't Mark. stare at me, I'm too ugly to be stared at. Say he's really I'm nice. twice as ugly as sin. This is essentially the same challenge the team faced in level two with Cedric. But it is always funny to hear Mark telling the gargoyle how lovely he is. You're lovely. Yeah, okay. Um, Just to make clear to everybody, it's another gargoyle. This appears to be Mug from season one. There was a gargoyle in the previous quest that just kept on saying Doom over and over, but that seems to be a different gargoyle, even even though the, um, the room model used for it was the same. I have to make a little bit of a quibble here at this point, because... As you say, this is a rehash of making friends with Cedric. Isn't this meant to be a quest for truth and justice? (laughs) And I know there is something to be said for the art of diplomacy, but this isn't just diplomacy. This is flat out more than lying. Doesn't this degrade the, um, the whole notion of truth and justice when you have to lie so flagrantly? in order to um, make headway. Isn't this entire sequence where they pretend that Cedric's a nice guy and then they pretend that the gargoyle is over to look at? 
isn't this teaching children that lying always pays? Maybe I'm, I'm overreacting again here, but it, 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 this is basically, it is just flat out lying, isn't it? Maybe he is lovely when you get to know him. Yeah. And he's beautiful on the inside. You're really nice. Keep, keep, keep going. Tell me. You're, you're the most beautiful creature in the world. Oh, it's no good trying to cheer me up. I like looking at you. You're... What about my face? Your face? Do you think I have a noble face? Yes, I do. It's the most no noble face I've ever seen. So you what like his what? eyes? I like you your eyes. You think I'm charming? Yes, yes, you're, yes. You're, yes, you're lovely. What about my wit? So yes. you're very witty. You're very witty. You're very intelligent. Oh, oh no. I'm just old and... So you're really young, you kid. You're really young. Nobody looks at gargoyles anymore. Yes, they do. You're you look really young. Keep going, Mark. Come on, you're keep going. You're really young. You're so beautiful. I love you. You're amazingly young-looking. Well, I must say, you've made my century. I, I feel almost optimistic. I'd never realised I was such an attractive gargoyle. Yes, you are. Yes, it's you are. good to have friends. What's your name, friend? Mark. Well, I tell you what, Mark. Uh, if you like, you can stay here forever and admire me. Is that what you'd like? So no. you'd really like to, but but you, but you must really carry like on to free a person. I'd really like to, but I've got to free a, free a maid. Oh well, I suppose if you've got to go, you've got to go. Uh, now where did I hide that door? Oh yes. Okay, Mark. There it is. Now listen, Mark. Uh, I'm going to give you a spell. It's called Sun. It's. Not a very exciting spell, I suppose, but it's all I've got. Farewell. I like the way at the, at the end, by the way, um, when the, the gargoyle rewards them with the sun spell. He says it's not a very exciting spell. And I'm just thinking, I'd love it if Mark said, you're right, that spell's boring. Take it back and give me a more interesting spell. <laughs> I don't like that. But Mark's flattery almost works a little too well, as the gargoyle suggests that Mark might stay there forever and admire him. I can't understand why they declined such an opportunity. <laughs> the gargoyle tells Mark that since he's cheered up, he's going to give him the spell Sun. Before the gargoyle's mood drops, the team guide Mark out of the room. Just a little bit of trivia there. Um, if you look really closely at the shadow, there's um, one of the doors is revealed when the shadow um, suddenly uh, gets cut into two pieces. Um, as, as a a ray of light suddenly shines right down in the middle of it and, and creates too much smaller shadows. If you look very closely at the shadow on the right, there's actually a third door. I didn't notice that. If you ever manage to get to look at the Nightmare board game, there's a version of the Gargoyles chamber there where there's no shadows and you can see all three of the doors. Hmm. Turn to your left. Okay, walk forwards. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a room and there's um, the E we were looking for on a table. Yeah, something you need here, team, and oddly enough, unguarded. It's the Wall of Jericho chamber, only it's not really the Wall of Jericho chamber, is it? Because there's no wall. On the table is an apparently unguarded letter E, and the team guide Mark to collect it. And soon after he does... Well, no, Mark! Turn, what turn to a bit to your left. you and your friends have turned out to be? A gigantic and slightly scary apparition of Merlin appears in the corner of the room. He congratulates Mark on making it so far and tells him he has found three elements of his quest. However, Merlin warns Mark that even when he has found the fourth element, he still needs to unite the pieces and find the way out. He gives Mark the spell sleep. 
He says he knows that Mark has another spell and critically says that he may even have a third eventually. Here's another horrible example of the uh, close-ups with the pixelated backgrounds. Yeah, this is actually the first scene when I noticed the pixelation problem um, on close-ups back in 1988. I never noticed it when I was a kid, but then again, when I was watching it, I was considerably younger than than you were when you were watching it. I think by the time you'd got to the age I was, um, Nightmare was near... coming to an end mm. <laughs> of course the image the images by season eight had far more clarity to them mm. i'm not absolutely sure about this but i think broadsword television the production team i think they got a new computer every single season to do the work so that they could provide higher quality images mm. the graphics were always done on on amigas because amigas at the time were well ahead of the pc in terms of the graphics they could produce yeah. by the mid 1990s the pc had pretty much caught up but at that point nightmare came to an end anyway so they didn't they didn't even have to do the switch over you can learn an awful lot about the um the software revolution just from studying the history of nightmare it's uh it is quite curious amigas were still used for special effects quite well into the 90s i mean they used it for the special effects of uh, babylon 5 they also used them for um the computerized images used in titanic as well believe it or not and that was 98 it was still a useful machine it just wasn't advancing as quickly as the pc was maybe if commodore had constantly concentrated more on uh, keeping the Amiga relevant rather than trying to enter the uh, games console market. Yes, I would I would say there's something in there. I mean, Commodore had, had a very successful sort of um, 15 years. It had, it had a very good run. You know, the old Commodore 64 for a while was probably the most advanced computer on Earth, but that was back in the mid-1980s. Anybody released a Commodore 64 now would be seen as a bit of a joke. I suppose there was always going to come a point when they were going to make a wrong turn sooner or later because a lot of the time they were sort of fumbling in the dark trying to find what would be popular and what wouldn't as i say there's nothing actually wrong with the amiga as a computer it was in its time it was it was excellent it's just for whatever reason people went with pcs instead my amiga 500 is still sitting on top of my wardrobe at the moment being protected or is it just uh... awaiting repair (laughs) actually all right good luck finding anybody who'll be able to do it (laughs) oh i can i can do it it's just um i can't be bothered It literally just needs opening up and some of the chips need reseating. I did have a CD32 until uh, relatively recently, and I really do regret getting rid of that, to be honest, because it was essentially an Amiga 1200 without the actual computer bits. So it sounds like, sounds like there is something rather missing from that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, you could have added them in. Yeah, you could buy things that allowed you to plug in a hard drive and a keyboard and essentially turn it into an Amiga 1200. They were expensive then, and they're even more expensive now. <laughs> a lot of the time with the um, CD32, the controller actually costs more than the console. Well, that is actually kind of depressing. Mm. Now, be off with you. It is a short path now, but a dangerous one. Well done, but there's many a slip betwixt cup and lip. Just remember that. There's many a slip betwixt cup and lip. I love that phrase. I, I, I've, always rather liked, I've always rather liked that line. It's, it's, it sounds like a Yodaism. Yeah. Ooh, between cup and lip, many a slip there is. Well, this must have been the first place I heard it, but I mainly remember that phrase from one of the Young Guns films where Milo Estevez says it. Well, if we get caught, Charlie, we're going to hang. But there's many a slip twixt a cup and a lip. In the uh, the sort of the young 
younger days of the internet, where people were doing websites about uh, their favourite TV show. They'd often have a feature in it, which is everything I ever needed to know, I learned from watching this programme. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got these little wisdoms, little sayings that you, you get from these programmes and, and they get slotted in. And, and I actually did one for Nightmare. God almighty, it must be about 18 mm-hmm. years ago now. Uh, that one actually got into it. So there's many a slip betwixt cup and lip. because. Mm. I learned that from watching Nightmare. Didn't you also do a Nightmare drinking game? I did. I did. <laughs> uh, one of the wonderful things about that is that it's never finished. You can always find more things to put into it. <laughs> I was hanging out with uh, my friend Nikki on big screen VR the other day. We were watching Nightmare. I'm like, a, it's like a virtual reality thing that makes it seem like you're in a cinema and like mm. the screen is looks really big and stuff. So we were watching Nightmare on that, which was quite impressive. And we started talking about the possibility of a Nightmare drinking game and then I suddenly remembered I think Martin actually did one so I'll have to check that out but I couldn't find it it's a time. long time ago that I made it as well yeah and you can now find the nightmare drinking game along with other stuff associated with our podcast at our brand new website www.nightmarepod.co.uk the team guide mark up the stairs and through the door where am I? Mark, you're in a room, there's some cavern Dead white. quiet, team. These cavern whites appear to be sleeping. Here be energy which you may well need. But can you steal it with stealth? On the other hand, the door is open. <laughs> the choice is yours. So why does Mark have to sneak around if the cavern whites are blind and deaf? It's because otherwise... Um, the scene wouldn't be particularly scary. Well, my wife says it's in case he farts. That suggestion has raised the tone to a new level of highly cerebral <laughs> critical discourse. So many thanks, Kim. Then she suggested that it might be because of the vibrations of him walking, which kind of makes sense. It does, yeah. You, sometimes you can feel sound even if you can't hear it. Right at the beginning of the scene, don't you really think that Treyguard, you know, it didn't turn out to have any harm to it, but he made a slight mistake because he says, Dead quiet now. <laughs> there was anything likely to set the um, advisors' nerves off and get them shouting? Oh, totally done on purpose. So it's pretty clear that Mark needs the energy to continue because otherwise it wouldn't be there. The team guide him over it and then out of the room. Yeah, it was all a bit easier than Trey Guard was sort of talking it up to be that scenario. But I, I still find the scene atmospheric, so what the hell. But I do think unless he walked directly into one of them and tripped over them, they wouldn't have gone. No, pretty much that simple. I don't, I don't think there was, any, there was ever any serious threat, really. And walk forward. Where am I? Mark, you're in a room. The same... Welcome to the third level, Mark. Do not waste your puny kitchen magic on me, for I will turn all even before your spell is cast. Okay, now we come to the big mistake moment of of the uh, of the episode, where basically the production team managed to royally goblin horn up. Mm. They enter the skeleton room again, which they'd already been in when they entered level three about five minutes ago. Had they just run out of rooms for level three, and they just thought they'd sneak this one back in in the hope that nobody would notice? I think they kind of hoped that because Mogdred was making an appearance, that was what people would concentrate on maybe they did my question is why didn't they just put this scene at the beginning of level three this is what i was actually going to say um it would have been much more sensible to have mogdred appear in this chamber right at the beginning of the level because that would also mean his threat lingers longer yeah and um any any threat that comes from the subsequent rooms you can you, you feel you can put down to him 
as it is, they put this really quite close to the end of the quest. Yeah. So what threat there is is pretty small, and that only makes him look rather feeble. But it would he would have made a much more interesting, um, you know, maybe have his hand crawling along the floor of the skeleton room. Mm. Instead of the instead of the cavern white appearing, um, as, as happened the first time the room appeared. Instead, you go back to it, and he does this booming laugh. And yes, it is very striking. It is um, very menacing. But above all, it is a mock dread scene, and and as such, it's yeah, always it's, quite it's valid well. having it in there. But it's just it just it shouldn't be that particular chamber again. If you're going to have that particular chamber, as you say, no. have mock dread appear at the beginning of the level. And just don't go back to that chamber. There's no reason to separate them out like this and then go back to it. I also have to say, um, despite everything, and despite you saying, yes, it is welcome to have Mogdred be a part of it, from here, this scene does rather highlight the the problem in Mogdred, which is his bark is an awful lot worse than his bite. Because here he is, threatening and blustering till he's almost out of breath, but he doesn't really do anything. You know, he just he just sort of vanishes and lets and lets the dungeoneer carry on regardless. And the threat that follows, there's not really a great deal to what comes next. And so you're thinking, well, why didn't Mogdred just kill him on the spot then? Because <laughs> he, did, did he really think that what would follow would be guaranteed to stop a dungeoneer who's got this far into level three? So even there, you could say that Mogdred's presence is more problematic than uh, than, a, than a useful addition. It just it just it just makes him look really quite feeble. But anyway, Mogdred attempts to persuade Mark to swear allegiance to him, and the team discuss what to do. Well, will you serve me? Yeah. Um, we'd really like to. What should I say? Um, what should we do? What should we do? Tell him that we don't really know what to do. No, 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 um. Yet another decision team, and one you must take. Um, what should we say no? no. Should say yes, no? say yes, Mark. Yes. No, 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 no. Should we say no? Because if we say no, he'll You say no, Mark. If we, say, if we say no, he'll kill us. Every single time this makes me laugh. Tell him we'd really like to. <laughs> you were trying to lie their way through in a, in a quest for truth and justice. Yeah, I mean, I do actually like it. This happened. This is a theme that recurs an awful lot over the next few years. Mogdred trying to lure the young Jedi Knights to the dark side. Join me and we shall rule the galaxy and all that. And I do like that concept. That is a fundamental moment in the quest. But at the same time, um, on this point about it's a quest for truth and justice, it's bloody obvious that the answer is no. Wasn't there a team that said yes once? Uh, yes, there were. There were several that said yes, in fact. Um, one of them um, was kidding. The other one uh, genuinely meant it and didn't last much longer afterwards. The other one who was bluffing was in season four. They were dealing with malice rather than mob dread. That, was, uh, that would have been uh, Dickon, wouldn't it? From Devon, like me. It's obvious that ultimately you have to refuse here because if you win while serving mob dread, well, doesn't that defeat the whole object of the exercise? It's, it's, it's like blowing up the Death Star and then just telling the Darth Vader, okay, you're Emperor now. And after much deliberation, the team advised Mark to say no. Take it, Mark. Take the chance. Shall I say yes, then? No. no. Say no. No. Very well. I could, of course, crush you. But why bother? I enjoy observing fear. I shall enjoy observing yours. <laughs> quick, Mark. 
from the perspective of him as a character, the fact that he just walks away instead of actually doing something, even if it's just suddenly making his giant hand appear and reach towards the dungeon, make him do something. You know, that's that's the thing. It doesn't even have to be particularly dangerous, but just something that makes it look like he's a, it look, it look like he is a threat and that he could do something terrible. Just walking away like that, it, it just neutralizes any impact he has. Okay, grab grab the banister and walk Curious. down. Curious. A fine stained glass window, but wasted here in the dungeon depth where daylight cannot reach. So we're at the, uh, the stained glass window chamber. What I would say about this is, objectively, looking at it, not necessarily as a puzzle, but just as a piece of architecture, this is an absolute beauty. I absolutely love this chamber. It's um, In some ways, it doesn't really fit in in level three, not least because you have to have sunlight for a mm. stained glass window to work. Something that bright and colourful almost appears out of place in level three. But it is objectively a fantastic thing to look at. And it is scary, not so much because of how it looks, but because when a dungeon is in there, somebody, some bright spark um, in the production crew, plays the sounds of disembodied footsteps in the background. If you listen carefully, yeah. you can hear the sound of somebody taking footsteps <laughs> and you keep looking from side to side wondering where it's coming from. So it, it does actually work really well, just, just having those disembodied footsteps in the background. Yeah, do we know who it is? I think it's meant to be a playing card. It might possibly be a historical figure, maybe Eleanor of Aquitaine, although I, I can't recall seeing a painting of her that looked quite like that. Eleanor of Aquitaine, she was the Queen of England during the Angevin Empire era. Um, she was the wife of King Henry II, late 12th century. It could be her. Which would fit in with the idea of when Nightmare is supposedly set. But I'm not sure. Um, maybe Empress Matilda. It looks to me like it's based on a playing card, though. I think you might be right, come to think of it. But I like the way there's like a void surrounding the chamber. It's very clear that we are getting to like the very outer edges of the dungeon. Definitely. That is a clever effect, actually. You're quite right. I also rather like the, um, the inversion elements. The exits are all out of view directly below the camera rather than in the opposite wall. And the fact that Mark is now facing the camera really threw the team at this point, didn't it? It's actually a rather useful little test for a Dungeoneering team of advisors, isn't it? There's not much to be said against this chamber, I have to say. I think it's very effective. Just to describe it a little bit, because there's no description in the actual video files we've got, because there seems to be some kind of weird glitch on the challenge recordings. There is, yeah. For some reason, it's, it starts halfway through the scene and then suddenly jumps back to a few seconds into the scene. I was watching the same one while I was revising. Taking up the majority of the back wall is a beautiful stained glass window, as we described. And leading off of the bottom of the screen are four narrow paths, but no clear indication as to which one to take. At least not until the team realised what they must do. Spellcasting. S. U. N. <laughs> that one. Okay, Mark. Accompanied by a burst of eerie laughter, a light now shines through the face of the figure on the window. This causes the reflection of the face to appear on the pathway that is second from the right, clearly marking the correct exit. Now, Mark does actually put a foot off the platform here, doesn't he? Yes, he definitely gets away with this. <laughs> People are making jokes about it for over 20 years now. You could say he missed his mark. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a room. Um, it's a dark room, and there's one that... Ah, oh, it's lighting up. No, it says that crap burning there, isn't that? Yeah. He's got to be pretty careful. And there's, okay. there's a door, if sort of, to the, the right of you. OK. 
Okay, Mark, if you can start slow, start walking forward and we'll tell you to stop. Very slowly. Um, okay, stop. stop. Right. Okay, can you take a side step to your right, please? Your right. That's okay. Great. Now, now can you take a step forward? Very, okay. very small. Can you take a very small step forward again, please? Very small. Yeah. Stop. Okay, okay we'll walk, walk forward. forward. Okay. Stop. Good. What um, do we do now? We're going to have to come somewhere, aren't we? We're going to have to go over there. No. No, there's no need to do that, is there? There's some kind of very deep yeah. dark pit. There's, there's, some, there's a pit there, pit there, but how do we get across here? Stand quite still. And where do you think you're going? Tell him you're going to free a maid. I'm going to free a maid. I do hope you're intelligent enough to realise escape is impossible. This is um, a, a very significant moment in itself because dragons play a very major role in an awful lot of Nightmare, and this is the very, very first appearance of one. It's kind of surprising, isn't it, really? Mm, mm. Considering how heavily influenced it is by Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it, it becomes, dragons become enormously important from season five onwards. There's a number of dragons that appear. Um, there's two yellow dragons, and they both use the same animation. This mm. one, we're not sure what he's called, but there was a, a very similar dragon in season three um, with a Welsh accent called Owen. This one, we don't know what he's called. He's not Welsh. He sounds like a very, very haughty Englishman. He's a lot nastier than Owen as well. Season five, they introduce um, Smirkanorth. He's very, very pompous and superior, but he's basically a good guy dragon. He's a, he's a green dragon rather than a yellow dragon. He uh, Provided one of the better ways of transferring between levels. Red dragons appear quite a lot from season six to eight. Uh, one called Red Death, called Firestorm of Marblehead, who was actually um, originally called Balshibar, um, but then had a new program, a new personality programmed into it using techno sorcery. Um, there's snap dragons, which are tiny little dragons that uh, try to catch dungeoneers as they're making their way through uh, goblin tunnels. Oh, there's also Snapper Jack, who has a pet snap dragon, um, which he carries around with him. Snipper snap, snipper snap. Less said about him, the better, though, because he's a bloody <laughs> character. There's a brilliant slow reveal of this particular dragon, mm -hmm. which is then almost immediately ruined by a case of misidentification. <laughs> you do know what I am. He's a, he's a crocodile, Mark. He's standing on a crocodile's nose. Are you a crocodile? A what? Crocodile. A crocodile. I am a dragon. He's a dragon, Mark. What's, what's what absolutely wonderful about this scene is it encapsulates everything that they've done right to this point, but also completely contradicted everything they've done right to this point. They've managed to convince Cedric that they like him. They've managed to convince the gargoyle that he's beautiful. And then having shown this brilliant art of um, making people think they like them, they go up to a dragon and accuse him of being a crocodile. <laughs> How did, the, did this team manage to make such an enormously crass remark? But yeah, the slow reveals is brilliant it, it's uh it's it actually makes you become slightly alarmed when you see the teeth coming into view at the bottom of the screen and the eyes suddenly appear so what actually happens is mark enters the room and we literally just see a short pathway in front of him then more of the room becomes visible a doorway on the other side of the screen and what appears to be a platform bridging the gap ominous note plays in the background. So Mark walks onto the platform, smoke is beginning to rise from somewhere below him. 
and then a gigantic cat-like eye opens up, revealing that Mark is clearly standing on the snout of a huge dragon. A dragon. It is clearly a dragon. It's a big alligator. I'm just going to read my notes from when I was watching it because I got proper mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> like, facepalm. He's obviously a f***ing dragon. Sure, he has a long snout and sharp teeth, but think of the context. Also, how many crocodiles have you seen with smoke coming from their mouths? Crocodiles only smoke Marlborough. I can't remember which advisor it is. It says to him, he's a crocodile, Mark. So Mark says, oh, you're a crocodile. And he goes, I'm a dragon. And the same advisor goes, he's a dragon, Mark. <laughs> we know he's a dragon. He just told us. <laughs> Weirdly, it makes me think of a line in uh, The Muppet's Christmas Carol. It is the American way. Sam. Hmm? It's just the, the thing. Oh. It is the British way. That is not the British way. The British way is to go up to a giant yellow dragon with smoke coming out of its mouth and accuse it of being a crocodile. The American way is to go up to it and say it's an alligator. I'm honoured to meet you. So you should be. I am the first dragon you will ever meet. And the last. So to begin with, Mark resorts with his usual line of defence. I think you're beautiful. We seem to have the most egotistical and vain collection of characters in the history of Nightmare on a quest to rescue and free the single most vain character in the history of Nightmare, even vainer than Lilith. I've just noticed that Nightmare is an anagram of Think Marge. So, they uh, cast the sleep spell. Spell casting. S. L. Right. E. Time's up. E. P. Magnificent It's a shame I can't show you the rest of me. But we haven't got... Okay. All... No, we've got to come down here, haven't we? All right. And it works. It actually puts the dragon to sleep. How they haven't worked out where they're supposed to go by now, I don't know. They're probably scared of waking the dragon by walking on its nose. In the later scene the dragon appears in, they don't have to put him to sleep and, he, and they just uh, and, and the dungeon just walks along his nose regardless. But here, they're not only scared of, uh, uh, they're scared of waking him up. There's clearly no other way to go. And they're already standing on his nose anyway. Can't argue with that. No, no, he's got to come out right. here. So I'm to your No, right. he's got Come out here. Can you take sidesteps your right, please? Keep going. Sidesteps your right. Can you please keep going? Traeger puts them in their place and they guide Mark along the dragon's snout and through the exit. Walk forward. Okay, okay that's it. Now keep going. Where am I? Mark, you're Come on, team. A life force energy low. You must charge ahead now or all is lost. Okay, Mark. Remember Merlin's words. Find the way out. And now we're into even more unfamiliar territory, and yet not entirely unfamiliar. No, this is very clever. Team of Reach, what appears to be the edge of the dungeon. In front of them are a few flagstones and a guillotine with an evil-looking face above it. Walking under this guillotine appears to be the only way out. But before the team chants it, they have to collect the letter E that is off to the left. They do so and then carefully tie Mark's path through the guillotine 
in order to avoid the falling blade. Now, notice the star pattern in the distance. On the other side of the guillotine, there is a field of stars. There doesn't appear to be any ground there. You look at the pattern of stars there, and then you think back to the Wheel of Fate. That star pattern is the same, albeit a lot bigger because we're nearer to it. That is the same as the one we saw behind the Wheel of Fate right at the beginning of the quest. The implication is that the wheel is the dungeon. It's the whole dungeon. And it's as if the dungeon, as they're questing through it, is all in that ruined four-door chamber that, that the Wheel of Fate emerged in. And they've now, as it were, reached the back wall or where the back wall would have been before it crumbled. So it's, it's quite a clever sort of illusion effect that they've, they've come up with there. So they've gone all the way through the dungeon basically to get to the same chamber, only now just beyond the wall. Very clever effect. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It gives you a real inkling of just how fluid the dungeon really is. It can be any size it wants to be. It can happen in any order it chooses to. It's sort of like the TARDIS, isn't it? It's sort of like um, it's bigger on the inside than it was on the outside. And it's got that same effect of you can go almost anywhere inside it. But when you finally get out, whichever exit you choose, you find you're still in exactly the same place you were originally. In some ways, that's kind of a metaphor for watching Nightmare. You can escape to anywhere, but at the end of it, you find you're still sitting in your living room. Okay, you can slow step to your FPS. Do we say stop? Okay, stop. Now walk forwards until we say stop. Okay, stop. Um, can you take a side step to your left? Okay, stop. Can you shuffle forwards, please? Keep going. Okay. Stop, stop, okay. stop. Side step to your right, please. Keep going. Shall we say stop? Come on. Come on. Okay, stop. stop. Okay, now can you walk forwards? Okay, stop. Okay. Now, walk, quick. Where am I? Mark, stay where you are, okay? There's... Remember, Merlin said you may have a further spell. What do you think it must be? Having got through the guillotine without getting beheaded, Mark is standing on an arrow looking out into the void of space. The team figure out that all the letters that they've been collecting must form a spell. Quickly. Spell casting. F. R. E. E. A column of bricks pirouettes into view, followed by a spinning sphere of bricks which levitate above the column. This slowly vanishes, revealing the image of Gretel, the maid that the team have been working to free. Fantastic! You've done it! You've mastered the dungeon! Mark, you may remove the helmet! We've got a winner! We have I... actually got it. We've got a winner. We've <laughs> finally seen what the end, what it's like to actually have a winning quest. Yes. After nine intrepid dungeoneers have met their untimely deaths, we're finally here. We finally made it to the fireworks factory. Fireworks factory. Yes. <laughs> Back in 1988, I was genuinely as pleased as I am when my favourite football team wins the FA Cup. <laughs> I was, it was as much, this had become as much of a sort of spectator sport to me as football. And I was just pleased as punch to finally see somebody who <laughs> won it. Um, and I was, I was celebrating just, just like the cut at the moment the captain lifts the cup or something. Uh, it was yes. such a great moment because I, I, even though if it had only been nine previous teams, it did feel like a lot more. And I really was getting to the point where I was thinking, nobody's ever going to do this, are they? nobody's ever going to be able to win it uh, and then suddenly it happened and because it seemed so impossible 
oh wow i felt i felt real joy my, my, you know it was real real heart rate raising moment wonderful moment yeah. it's definitely a big moment i think the um in future they would handle winning quests uh better uh, but this was a defining moment of the series. Like you say, this is the point that we found out that, yes, it was actually beatable. Yeah. It was, it was the point when we found out for sure that there were only three levels. But it, was, it, it did show that actually this is entirely possible to do. You just have to not be stupid, basically. In hindsight, you, you tend to realise that an awful lot of the quests came to an end because the team just weren't very good. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't that it was that difficult. It was called the toughest game show on television, and in some respects, that's true. Um, but the main, the, if you were sensible, um, you could do it. So you, you could argue, in hindsight, maybe there was a downside to that, which is that suddenly the dungeon didn't seem quite as terrifying a place anymore but I, I was still scared watching nightmare for some time yet after that um so i, I don't think that was a problem but it, it, in some ways there's there's never a problem with establishing that there's hope you know let's say let's say there were um three quarters of the way through season four and all that time still nobody had ever won it i think at that point everyone would start getting a bit would start to despair a little bit um and 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 feel oh this, there's no point in this. It's it's, it's just never going to happen. Just having an occasional win is is good for the program, I think. Exactly. There was a French version of Nightmare that they made in 1990, based mainly around the architecture of the first three seasons of Nightmare. It was called uh, Le Chevalier du Labyrinthe, The Night of the Labyrinth. And that one, um, the format was different because each episode was its own standalone quest. They also had a different rule, which was when a Dungeoneer was killed, which did happen, one of the advisors would put on the helmet and then they'd carry on from where they left off. I quite like that, actually. There's, there's something in that, but it's not very good when the entire labyrinth is only about six rooms large. It means that it means there's no, it's almost impossible to lose. That creates the opposite problem, which is no tension at all because almost every episode of labyrinth ended with a win yeah didn't they give away a, a sega master system or something that was totally in keeping with the time period that didn't help either but it was it was the fact that it because you basically got three lives in nightmare here you have only one in labyrinth you had three it became more a bit more difficult as as you lost dungeoneers because you'd have fewer advisors and if you got if you got down to the point where there was only one advisor left and, and no no dungeoneer the, the, the game actually was lost but it very rarely got to that because six chambers you you, you know you, you're practically there already um, it's, mm. You're basically just playing level three. And I find Labyrinth interesting to watch. I find it somewhat entertaining, but I don't feel any tension watching it because I know they're almost certainly going to win. They have to be unbelievably bad at dungeoneering not to win. Nightmare is exciting partly because it's rare for there to be a winner. It's rare for somebody to actually complete the whole thing. But at the same time, you don't want it to become actually impossible because then you lose all sense of hope. Nightmare got the balance right, just about right. So a joyous Treyguard unites the team on the path home, but instead of the usual dismiss spell, a more appropriate one is used. Spellcasting hero. Yes. H E R. Cheers, Mark. We've done it, Mark. The team appear at the entrance to the path home, and on this occasion, Treyguard stands with them. The team already have their scrolls in hand, as Treyguard offers them a greater prize. Mark, Matthew, Daniel, Jonathan, you are the first of our young adventurers ever to master the dungeon. Yes. 
Others will no doubt follow, but that glory will always be yours. Here is the symbol of squiredom which your success has earned you. But your true reward is, of course, your achievement here. I salute you. We all salute you. As great as this scene is, it's slightly ruined by the fact that the symbol of Squidom has the words Anglia Television and 1988 <laughs> blazoned across it. I still prefer it to the Fright Night trophy that was given out in later years. Oh, no, I loved the Fright Night trophy. I didn't. I, I didn't okay. That's like beating an opponent, and then you sort of pick up the head <laughs> and sort of hold it up. Yeah, one of them appeared on eBay a few years ago, probably about 16 years ago now. I actually bid on it, but I... I bid like forty pounds. It sold for like three hundred pounds or something. You're gonna to have to really, really be rich to sit over one of those things. Thanks to Nightmare.com, we actually have the audio from a brief interview that Mark did with uh, CITV, which was shown after the program. Right now, the winning dungeoneer. Hello, Mark. Hi. 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 How did you enjoy doing the uh, the competition? Did you think the dungeon was unbeatable? Yeah, really, because no one before us had ever done it. So it's really nerve-wracking. Yeah, absolutely super. Would you, you know, would you fancy having another go? Yeah, I would, because no adventure's ever the same, so, you know. Yeah, well, what I've got to say is congratulations to you and your team, Mark. Thanks, thanks for listening to me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye to you too. See you tomorrow. You could tell he was really proud, not just knowing that he won it, but that he and his teammates were the first. As Treyguard himself says during the farewell at the end, he said, that glory will always be yours. Others will win, but you will always be the first. Yeah, I do think to win it in those early years was a genuine challenge. You also had, like, in later series, the, the end of series, uh, the last quest was almost guaranteed to win. Yeah, they, they, they wanted it to end on a happy note. You got these much more heavily set-piece oriented end of quests. Yes, it was when um, they started making each series its own like self-contained story. And, and, it, and they wanted it to be a happy ending. I'm not sure I completely approve of that. But it has to be said the first uh, few seasons quests get interrupted in the middle of nowhere and and, um, and then you start thinking, well, what was the point of them even starting? So I, I suppose you can, you, you can see an argument for it. When a season just comes to an end mid-quest, it does leave a bit of an anticlimactic feel. I love the way that when Traegar turns and shrugs and walks away saying that the dungeon salutes you and all of that, he very, very clearly steps off the side of a cliff. Yes. <laughs> Did nobody point out to Hugo from the uh, from the producer's office, but don't, don't go that way, turn to your, turn to your, you could, They could actually have dungeoneered him away. Turn to your left. Left, right, now take a side step. <laughs> yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. So let's discuss the team themselves then. Do you think it was a deserving win? Yes, um, I think you know they're the odd, there's the odd sort of rough edge in their performance. They certainly seem to have a one or two rather strange brain freezes um, in level three, as you pointed out, leaving the dragon's chamber. What else were you going to do if not walk along the dragon's nose? They were very much overthinking. There was literally it. nothing else in the chamber, for you, so there's nothing else you can do. So there were moments when when they seemed to hesitate for no reason because their general performance was pretty close to error free. I think you have to say they do deserve the championship, but I don't think they deserved it any more than Team Three. I actually 
think Christopher's team was probably marginally better than Mark's. But that's not Mark's fault. That's not his teammates' fault. That was just the way his particular quests happened to unravel. Just looking at them in isolation and say, yes, they're good, they're good enough to be worthy champions. Were they the best team in Season 2? Probably not. No, I'd agree with that. Were there any standout moments of the quest for you that really kind of caught you? Um, in terms of entertainment, you've got to love Cedric versus Gumboil. <laughs> just, just to laugh, as, as I said at the t- um, when we were discussing at the time, that kind of indignity does not um, do Gumboil any favors in terms of being a threat. No, I do still love the way that Cedric just steps on him as he walks over. Though. I do, I do rather love the, the very, very dishonest way that um, Gumball says, "I wasn't ready." <laughs> oh, shut up! You had your sword or poise all the way above your head. You were about to try and slice Cedric in two. That was certainly enjoyable. Not so sure about the Toads thing in level one. It was the first appearance of a dragon in Nightmare. There would be a lot of them to follow. This stained glass window chamber gets its first viewing, and it is as we said earlier um, an absolutely gorgeous bit of architecture david rowe is absolute best there first view of the exit from the dungeon um which i think is actually quite a clever design there's a lot to like there's, there's some bits that said that look a little bit ragged um especially uh, in uh, in level one but all in all it's an entertaining quest it wasn't quite as fast paced as christopher's but it was still fast-paced enough. The whole thing was only about 42 minutes, I think it was, the entire quest from start to finish. Tim Child often complains that he gets frustrated with the early seasons because they were so slow. In season five, there's a quest that lasts one hour and three minutes, and it doesn't even get halfway through level three. I think actually the slow pace wasn't a problem specific to the first three seasons. You could well argue that some of the things they did afterwards made it even worse. Traeger's got no time for celebration, though, as he calls in the next victim. Farewell to our first champions and welcome to our next victim enter stranger and he's not even trying to hide it now he's literally just calling them victims i love the sinister side of it as you know yeah name yourself please tony butcher well tony call your advisors and let them introduce themselves tony Dean, craig come who guides this dungeoneer Craig Snashel from Ashford Kent. Tony Williams from Ashford Kent. Dean Heitman, also from Ashford Kent. Your challenge is accepted. Tregard explains the rules, boots Tony through the door, and another quest is already underway. Your life force is green. And your cause is just. So face the dungeon door and step boldly forward. Where am I? Okay, Tony, you're in a room with a hole in the wall in front of you and it looks like there used to be a door there. You've got a kind of meteorite thing coming towards you that's spinning. It's opening up and it's spinning round in the centre. In any game of chance, there's always a wheel of fortune, or in this case, fate. Quickly, team, Tony must halt the wheel or stay here forever. The brake levers by his right hand. It's the clue room stop. So, um, yeah, are they deliberately trying to speed things up artificially here, do you think? I'm just glad it's not the four-door chamber. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, but going straight to the clue room, it does, it does 
little bit suspicious. Tony, come on. Well done, team. Well done. Fate has been kind to you. You've avoided much peril and jumped straight to the level one clue room. Now, don't waste your good fortune. All must be earned, team. All must be earned. Your first trial is imminent. I'm not completely sure um, why Tregard is uh, telling the team well done here. There's there's no great um, skill to being lucky. Uh Going straight to the clue room from the Wheel of Fate is either pure luck on the part of the wheel or it's pure luck about the mood the production team happens to be in. Um, it's, it's just trying to keep up the pretense that there was some kind of skill in pulling the lever at exactly the right moment. Possibly. Much as I love the Wheel of Fate and wish that they'd retained it for later seasons, I do not accept that it's, it was anything other than premeditated outcomes from it. By all means, acknowledge the fact that they've been lucky. Don't congratulate them on being lucky though don't tell them well done so on the table are an apple a fish that is rather obviously a red herring a bottle of the ground bat's wings which tells us it's going to be a mildred quest and a silver bar that the team mistake for a snuff box so th- this is the second time this has happened was snuff boxes just more prevalent back, back then? in the 1980s i don't know it, it is rather suspicious that children keep on saying is that silver bar a snuff box why a snuff box particularly well the thing is after having heard it referred to as snuff box and looking at it i can actually see a snuff box yeah there, there is i mean i suppose you could even do it with gold bar as well but you could see it as a spectacles case or something make as much sense as seeing a snuff box there <laughs> why are children asking about snuff well i guess it's you know children have parents and they have grandparents grandparents especially oh that's right blame the parents again it's it? blame the parents time yeah okay i'm with you yes do you think there's a link here? Because Treyguard did appear in a film, well, or rather Hugo Myatt did appear in a film a few years back called Snuff Movie. So maybe there's a link there. No. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Treyguard reminds the team that rewards must be earned. And with this, Olgarth appears in what might just be his clearest manifestation yet. Okay. I am Olgarth. Of legend. Face me or perish. Hey, Tony. Please me or Tony, depart Tony, without honor. You can make out the marks on the mask. Not to its benefit, shall we say. No. You can see the damaged bits of foam now. It's pretty clear that these puppets were not built to last. Three riddles have I, and truth I seek. Here is my first. Scissors cut something, yet rock breaks scissors. Then something covers rock. No one can win this game, but what is something? I have two problems with this riddle. Mm. I've won this game several times. Mm-hmm. I've also lost this game several times. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds awful. Mm-hmm. It is. It's literally, it's literally what you do when you've broken down on the motorway about 40 miles from absolutely anywhere. It's late at night. Your mobile phone has run out of power and there is literally nothing else to do um, but just go, uh, 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 with the person sitting next to you. That's, that's, that's literally the last resort way of passing the time. So the answer is paper, but it could also have been Lizard or Spock. That's a Big Bang Theory joke there. I went there. Yes, I did. And the team get the right answer. Heaven help them if they got that one wrong. Second riddle. Some warriors like to fight in troops and some in regimental bands. But name me now the cloaked hordes who take the field and fight in clans. 
Yeah, I'm absolutely bewildered by the answer they come up with for this. It's an easy answer anyway. That the it's the answer is going to be Scotsman. You could get away with saying Irishman as well, in fact, because uh, the clan system is something that's uh, duplicated in both countries to a certain degree. But army? Yeah, army. When was the British army just, for instance, organised into clans? <laughs> they said army. <laughs> Army? They said army. They said army. <laughs> oh God, we've been down this path before, haven't we? Yes. They said army. We know what the correct answer is, but before Olgaf can confirm it, warning team: a complete temporal disruption imminent. Time is now your enemy. Oh dear, temporal disruption complete. All adventuring must now cease until you phase with us once more. Will Tony and team survive level one? And if they don't, will you be glum? Join us again for Nightmare and just keep telling yourself it's no laughing matter. <laughs> or is it? That's a really weird place to have. Uh, time out isn't it it gets even worse in the third season on one occasion they just arrive in the opening chamber it's the dice room that's replaced the wheel of fates in season three they're just about to roll the dice and then you get the chime even Tregard himself is protesting that this is this, this is too weird oh i think i watched that one the other day actually on the big screen no you can't do that there compared with that this is nothing and we've pretty much already discussed what we think of the episode really haven't we when we discussed mark's team this is different from other episodes not not just because it's got new architecture there's a slight lightness to the episode that perhaps isn't appropriate i'd say given this is happening in level three um most of the episode it could do with being a bit dark and the slightly less comical at certain points. Crocodile definitely takes you a little bit out of the episodes. <laughs> um, having to chat up the gargoyle. By the time you're in level three, the material needs to be a bit tougher than that. So perhaps there's a slight lightness that wasn't there in level three in Chris's quest, for instance. But it's different. Um, it's it, it, it has its own identity. It's reasonably quick-paced. And you've got an unprecedented moment. You've got the moment we were waiting something like 15 months by this point. We finally got a winning quest you can't argue with that the program is moving in new directions it just feels so good to finally have a winner doesn't it it compensates for a number of sins before we go we've got a couple of patreon supporters to thank david n rabbit who subscribed at the advisor level and we have adam d who is subscribed at the dungeoneer level remember if you want to support us on patreon you just need to go to www.patreon.com forward slash nightmare pod you can also follow us on twitter we're at nightmare pod on there and you can email us at broomcupboardclub at gmail.com you can also visit our new website which is www.nightmarepod.co.uk do you want to plug anything today martin the audio plays you can find them at the dunshelm players website look it up on google if you want somebody else to do the searching for you or if you can type out the address it's dunshelm players all one word no hyphen dot wordpress.com if you're interested in the not original uh nightmare plays that were ripped off by 
other individuals like Jay Collins and Ross Thompson. Just kidding, lads. Love you, really. You can download their plays. These are ones that are based on the gameplay of the series rather than just general stories with the characters from nightmareaudioseries.webs.com. The best episodes of uh, the Nightmare Audio series are, of course, the ones with me playing uh, Lord Fear. So until next time... Don't have nightmares. Just watch them instead. Crocodile.